think people had to get to rock bottom before they would consider anything else, which I felt I was sitting here think, feeling a bit guilty that I left everybody thinking everybody was so depressed about it. <laughs> but um, in order to move on, I think you've got to start and say goodbye to the old. And um, as we started to think what the future would hold, um, we had to um, come up from a, uh, with some practical suggestions. Financially, it wasn't going to be possible to restore the church. And even if we had financially, it wouldn't have been possible to sustain it. And so we had to look around and think what else could be done. We had a certain amount of money. There is a certain amount of expertise uh, in and around the village. But what we started to do was to start and ask people if they would help and nobody said no. And so we were starting, the church was starting to move out, if you like, to see who we needed to ask. And gradually the, um, the vision of what we might manage um, came about. And we are back in with Emerging Emmaus podcast. It is so great to have you with us. And would you believe it? We have a full complement of team with us today. We've got Neil Urquhart and Steve is back with us, Steve Aethorpe. So you have got a full team with you today. But where are we today? I can hear you asking the question, who's with us? Where are they from? And this is one of the great things about this podcast. We can go all around the country from the comfort of our living rooms or the bikes or the running trails or the cars or wherever you listen to this. And uh, today we are actually a way up in the northwest peninsula of Scotland and we are going to be joined with Ella Gill and Donard, Donald McCorkindale from the Kilhoan area. The parish where you are working and ministering is, in fact, why don't you go for it? Because you'd be far better saying these names than I am. Whereabouts in the country are you? Well, um Fort William is probably a, a place that many can you know, have a rough idea of where that is. We're on the other side of Loch Linney, across on the, the peninsula. So I've been minister here for 12 years and was inducted in 2011 to Ardgour, Strontian and Morvern. And with all the presbytery mission planning that's been going on, uh, those three parishes united to form Ardgour, Morvern and Strontian Parish Church, which is now linked with Acharachal and Ardnamurchan, which similarly had been two separate parishes that were linked, now united, which means that I have uh, responsibility for a few huge area. Um, I've kept saying that it amounts to something like 2% of the, the area of Scotland and I was writing something just the, the other day and I thought I really must check that out. And having done the maths, it's actually more than 2% of the area of, of Scotland. Uh, so a huge area taking us right out to the most westerly point of mainland Britain, Ardnamurchan Point, and it's not far from there where uh, the new Ardnamurchan Church will be dedicated tomorrow. 
13th of September when you're listening to this in the future. And this is why we are listening to your story today, because we wanted to chat with you about your new building, because it's not just a new building. It's, I suppose, in one way, the manifestation of a faith walk over a journey of time that can really help us. Before we get into that part of the journey, I think it might be really helpful for both you, Ella and Donald, to let us know a little bit more about the area, the rurality of it, the remoteness, the people, the kind of the lifestyle. And then maybe, Steve, because you've got a vested interest in this area, you could give us a bit of your opinion about that land and that area as well, coming in with fresh eyes. So, Ella... Why don't you paint us a picture? What's the land like? Uh, well, we would be classed as very remote and rural. Um, single track roads, um, which means some negotiating either when there are tourists around or um, during during the winter time as well. Um, when I was involved in the presbytery planning, I stopped putting the miles down between places and just put the time down between places. Because if you've got ferries to negotiate and single track roads and tourists and sheep and cows, then that's that's the important thing is the time that gets you from one place to another. As far as employment is concerned, there are a lot of people in, involved in the tourist industry. Um, and the, I would say now the biggest employer would be the fish farm, Maui, the fish farm uh, people. At one time it would have been forestry. Uh, but I think now the biggest employer would be Maui, would you say so? Mm, yes. Um, uh, but a, a, so a lot, of, a lot of people who work in the area may have more than one job um, if, they're, if they're not employed by Maui and they're just relying on tourism and so forth. So m multiple different sorts of employment. Um, the youngsters, um, we have schools on the peninsula, high school, um, as, as well as the primary school. And... Um, so a lot of them have to go away really for um, for work, but then quite a number of them do come back. There's a strong um, um, a strong feeling for the mod and for Gaelic. A lot of our children are taught in Gaelic, and they hold the mods. One's just taken place last week in Tobermory, and um, so we get some really good singers. Children with super confidence standing up playing instruments and singing reciting poetry and having conversations in Gaelic um, so I think that's probably about it you want to add in yeah um, certainly you know coming into this area 12 years ago um, I, I sensed a, an incredible sense of community uh, certainly compared to the, the the central belt although you know around around here folk will say oh it's not not how it used to be um but yes i think there is a a, a really good sense of community a sparsely populated area so you know you tend you tend to know a, a lot of folk um yeah they yeah after the the, the fish farms they they uh, health service is probably one of the larger um, employers um there is a, a a small nursing home it's not currently in use and that's maybe a mm. a political topic at the moment and and education as as ella was saying we've got the high school which has been here now um 20 years, 20 years yeah. and um that there are five uh, small uh, feeder primary schools it sounds like there's quite a lot of community who really care about one another and their roots and the culture 
Um, Steve, you've just recently moved to the area. I wonder, could you give us your first impressions of the people that are in and around there? Yeah, sure. So when you say just moved to the area, I really have literally just moved to the area. Um, I've been visiting here over the last months with a view to to moving to this area. Um, and I finally arrived here last night. But yeah, my first impressions are an incredibly friendly place. So whenever you pass anybody, meet anybody, uh, there is time and an acknowledgement. It's an incredibly beautiful place. And it's a place with a a rich and a deep Christian heritage as well. So, so the, the place I'm moving to um, is Kilmaloo, which is uh, a place where the Abernethy Trust have run an outdoor centre for for many years and which will be redeveloping as a Christian retreat centre uh, with a, a place of, of prayer and nature and adventure. And that name Kilmaloo refers to the cell, the prayer cell of St Maluag, who was based over on Lismore and, uh, and created or, or developed uh, dozens of Christian communities around the, the north of Scotland. So, so there's that kind of heritage. And when you look at the place names and just dig into the, the heritage a little bit, this, this is a place that's been incredibly important for the, the Christian heritage of the, of the whole nation. So a place of significant importance for our Christian heritage. That's what I'm taking away uh, from just getting to getting a bit of a picture, learning about our area. Now, Donald, you mentioned some of the changes that were happening from the Presbytery Mission Plan. Um, and you also mentioned about the opening of a new building. So I guess if that's the last page in the book, if the opening of the church building is is towards the end of the book, sorry for the, the spoiler if I've done that. How about you take us back to the beginning of this journey and where all these changes came from? How did all of this begin for you? I, th I think for a number of years, uh, there's been a realisation that uh, in the, the sparsely populated areas here, it was becoming more and more difficult to, to sustain the, the, the old buildings. And uh, currently we are in negotiations with the local community around Strontian in the hope that the, the church there can move into community ownership and be developed as a, a heritage centre, but retaining the, the use of the building for church purposes. We all know that uh, the church is a very important part of the community for many folk, um, if, if only for the, the milestone moments in, in life uh, to be uh, marked. So, you know, that's one thing that's going on around here. Back in 2018, the church at Kilhoan, uh, Ardnamurchan Parish Church, uh, the, the building uh, had some, some serious um, health and safety issues. Um, it was uh, not, not the first uh, building to um, be you know, really beyond use. And after some exploration of, of possibilities to develop that site, it was agreed that um, the time had come to put that building on the open market. It's subsequently been sold. And 
to, to look to a small, modest building fit for the 21st century. And yeah, it's been a very exciting journey to, to see that come to, to fruition. And uh, over the last five or six weeks, uh, worship has happened there, um, often with as many as 45, 50 folk um, gathering. And uh, tomorrow, the, the moderator will be with us for the, the formal opening of the, the church there. But it certainly brought the, the whole community together, many community events that will be happening in, in the hall, in, in the church, um, but it will be used as a, as a hall, a, a community space uh, as well. And, and by other churches, there's a, a really good ecumenical spirit around the, the whole area here. Church leaders from Church of Scotland, the Free Church, um, the Episcopalian Church. There's a good gathering that recently ha hasn't met as frequently, but um, often in the past, every second month, church leaders from a number of different uh, organisations and churches you know, have come together. And we certainly hope that at Kilhoen that that um, ecumenical spirit is, is kept, kept alive. Sounds such a picture of unity in terms of where this new life is. Ella, you've been involved with the faith communities and the communities up there for, for quite some time. Um, and when the, uh, the news came through and the, the realisation that the, your church building was going to close and be sold off, how, how were people responding to that? Were, were folks sad about it or were they very pragmatic or were they something else? What was the mood in and around the church at that time? I think that uh, given that there's um, Harakal and Ardnamurchan were uh, linked, uh, but there are 22 miles between the two churches. Um, so obviously it, and it takes you an hour uh, to go from one to the other. So um, one of the problems when the church had to be closed was that apart from it being the only church of any denomination in Kilhorn, and within 22 miles um, was the feeling of, of loss as well. You know, we had the stories of, well, I was christened here, and I, you know, I got married here, and my parents and so on. So for quite a lot of people, the sense of history and personal history, um, the loss of it was, was a major issue. Some were more prag pragmatic and certainly initially, um, there was a thought that the church might be able to be restored, but they, it was going to cost about half a million to do that. And you're talking about a small congregation, 18 members, and with an average attendance to a Sunday service uh, at that time of about 15 to 20. Um, so not a great deal of money, even if it was restored, to keep the church going. So, yes, there was a lot of sense of bereavement, a lot of sadness. Um, I, I was going to say anger, but not quite anger. Feeling of injustice. Why should our church uh, close? And um, they moved into the uh, centre and, um, and managed to keep the services going there. But obviously that's not quite the same as having your own place. But, uh, yes, there was a great sense of loss. Um, 
quite a lot of we get a lot of visitors uh, coming who are very supportive of the church and one of the dilemmas was that we started collecting for a restoration of the church and when it was decided that the church was going to be closed and put on the open market one of the dilemmas was what do we do with this money that people have given us um, for a restoration and we're not we're not going to restore the church so there were a lot of questions like that uh, going through people's minds. No wonder there must have been a, a lot of emotions and hopes and confusions maybe um, within that. Before I you know, bring in Neil and, and Steve, I'm just wondering when you were meeting in that community centre and you're in the place for some of that loss and for some already thoughts turning to collecting, restoring, being aware of something else. I'm just wondering, what was your sense of God moving in your midst in all of that? There was a huge amount of disappointment and um, perhaps maybe, yeah, confusion, not understanding, probably feeling that God wasn't answering prayers in the way that people wanted them answered. We ended up with the representatives from the general trustees coming up and saying, even if you got grants we can't support them because the central church just doesn't have the finance um to support uh, when, when somebody applies for a grant the central church has to say that they will foot the bill if something goes wrong and the church was not in a position to do that and so it was sort of one blow after another which uh, left people feeling quite low so in the sense of God moving through the uh, community at that time, I think the feeling was that that he wasn't. And it wasn't until things started to happen after that, that there was a sense of we just had to wait and see what happened. How interesting. I've just been minister of the Acarachal and Ardnamurkin area since the 1st of January uh, this year. And, and prior to that, I I'd only occasionally been down at uh, Kilhoen at the community centre, occasionally for communion services and, and things like that. And although, as Ella was saying, there, there's that sense of disappointment and, and where is God? I, I think I would want to say that there was a real sense of that the church is the people. And uh, there, there was certainly a vibrancy around the, the, the worship, albeit in the community centre. And, you know, there were... There were funeral services and baptisms, uh, you know, all these things still happened uh, around the church community. I think something else that I would want to say is that with, with a sparsely populated community, that there's a sense in which we're well, penalised maybe isn't the right word, but, you know, just because there are few people, um, the the community, the the Congregation of Ardnamurchan is in fact one of the most generous giving congregations in the country. And if you take the, the total income and then divide it through by the very small um, congregation, the per capita giving is uh, one of the highest, if not the highest in, in Scotland. And you know, although numbers are, are, are small, I, I keep reminding myself that the percentage of the population that is engaged in the life of the church is so much higher than anything I ever saw when I was in the, the, the central belt. And you know that can be difficult to 
to hold that when um, at one level it seems you know there isn't enough money, there aren't enough people to to keep things going, but they're incredibly committed and and generous uh, folk in these small, sparsely populated communities. So you've you've got a people of real goodness in that sense, and even in their loss and everything that you were going through with the building, there was a sense that we are the body of Christ, as in the church, not in the stones, but the living stones. And that it, what I was intrigued to hear there is that even in this place of emotion and uh, sadness, there was the worship and people were still lifting their eyes up to God. And you, it sounds as though there there was that absolute core belief that um, God is always bringing goodness. He's always bringing blessing and just sound as though your faith and people's faiths were, were really hung on that. Neil, I'm, I'm wondering what's your thoughts about what we're hearing so far? Yes, it's it's encouraging to hear of a building being used so well as a thoroughfare and a hub and the ability to use community centre and, and other spaces for gathering and worship and service. Uh, what, what does church look like beyond buildings in the rural areas, uh, Donald Ella? That's, that's a difficult one, Neil. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think that there is a, a, a kind of latent spirituality around the, the whole area. It can be hard, you know, encouraging others into the, the, the life of the church. And I think you know, as soon as you as soon as you take something away, it's then that uh, you know folk folk come and uh, you know you're not you're not going to close the church that I don't go to, but it is it is important as as part of the the community. I think I think there is so much more that that can and and should be done to take the church beyond the walls of the church and and being seen as light and and salt within the within the whole community. And it probably is true that over recent years, there, there has been rather, you know, understandably, but too much focus on, on buildings and, and kind of getting through some of the, the, the difficulties and decline that, that we keep talking about. But so much opportunity to, to, to reach out to the whole, the whole community who probably appreciate the church's presence much more than we really think. Mm -hmm. It's all about relationships, isn't it? And, and I suppose your relationships with people in in the areas that you're working in are really important. And and the relationships between church members and their neighbours and communities is really important. I wonder, is it you know we're 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 trying to cover the whole of the land with ministry and service? Is is it beyond us now? Or is it, is it, is is it, is that something that we should be holding on to? I, I, I personally would would want to hold on to the the third article declaratory that puts you know every square inch of Scotland within a, a parish, and I probably have one of the largest charges in in the land as I mentioned earlier, uh, representing at least two percent of the the area of of Scotland, and. At, at the end of the day, there, there is only so much that, that I can do. 
Um, but I think one of the really important things, uh, and increasingly so, one of the important things to do is, is to build up the people of God, and particularly in terms of, of sharing the leadership of, of worship and pastoral care and all that the all that the church does. Um, this year, um, Ella and, and I are very fortunate in that uh, there's a probationer minister also working with us and, and Jade will be here until at least the end of, of the, the calendar year. But always at the back of our mind, we're thinking, you know, how, how do we sustain um, weekly worship in some places, twice a month and in others, you know, on an ongoing basis uh, with with two full timers? And, and we need to, to look to, to ways of allowing the church to, to share in, in the leadership of, of what we're doing. Indeed, thank you. Yeah, we're, cert we're certainly seeing the beginnings of that and a, a number of elders you know, becoming, becoming more confident and uh, committed to, to, to leading worship. Another quite exciting thing that, that we're doing, um, I, I love the gadgets and all the, the, the tech stuff. And when there are five Sundays in the month, which happens four or five times in any calendar year, uh, we're, we're having a hybrid service. So rather than folks sitting in, in one church just watching what's happening elsewhere, a service might begin in, in one place and then and now we're going to hear our readings and, and they come in from another another venue. And there have been a few technical hitches, um, but we're getting there and we're, we're ironing those things out and, and looking to how we can best be a 21st century church and, and reaching folk, not just in the church buildings, but also from the, the comfort of their, their own home with different online options. Excellent. Good for you. That's really exciting. Yeah. Uh, Steve, I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really struck. Um, some of the things we've heard about the nature of this area. I mean, I suspect a lot of uh, listeners to this podcast, of course, you know, they, they know about rurality and, and, and how much the Highlands and Islands in particular is a rural community. But when you hear things like, well, it's 22 miles between these two linked church churches, and in many parts of the country, you know, we we'd drive past two or three dozen churches in, in that distance. Um, and then I think what you shared, Donald, about the, the generosity of people and the, and the percentage of people engaged in, in whatever way, um, that kind of paints a, a side to rural church, which is often not widely understood, I think, that there is a a depth of roots and um, and a lot of connections that are not always there in, in other kinds of places. You talk about latent spirituality. Um, I mean, I'm pleased you mentioned the tech side, Donald, because I know, you know, looking from afar, um, you seem to be a person who's been quite innovative in using technology, not not just in the context you just described, but also in linking people together and uh, facilitating prayer across the area as well. Do you want to say a bit more about that? Yeah, I think you know, at the beginning of, of lockdown, well, prior to that, I had already 
dabbled a little bit in in live streaming and I, I was familiar with with Zoom, um, and so I kind of took to that uh, quite readily and we we moved into some live stream. Uh, things at the beginning of lockdown and, and then onto a, a pre-recorded video that we're still, Ella and, and I and a small team of folk um, are still putting that together on, on a weekly basis. And every week since the middle of March 2020, um, I have done a wee Wednesday evening prayer and it's just a Bible reading, a wee reflection that often is is just kind of off the cuff with you know something that's happened that day, and and a prayer and a blessing, and there can often be you know, not huge numbers but fifteen twenty sometimes actually live at ten o'clock on a Wednesday evening, but by by the following week you know many folk will have watched it at some other time, and folk actually all around the world are are engaging with that and although you know my primary responsibility is to the the, the local parishes here um I, I think that there's something that we need to build on with that you know wider community many of whom you know have connections with with the area um i had an email recently from someone in in los angeles you know thanking me for the the outdoor shots of some of the the beauty of of loch Arbor. and and that all is is pointing folk towards the beauty of of god's creation so yeah i'm, I'm certainly i'm a big, a big fan of uh, using technology to the glory of god that is a wonderful statement, using the technology for the glory of God. Uh, it's just brilliant. And yet again, what we're hearing from you is just how you are responding, your godly response to the circumstances and the situations where you are sent or where you find yourself. And it takes me back into that journey that we were talking a bit about on that, you know, if we think about emerging Emmaus, that Emmaus road, that here you are you're you know back you were in that community center you were meeting you had the beginning the new shoots of some dreams and hopes and you've got uh, all this fantastic um, equipping that's coming and people are are re being raised up as leaders and going into what you've got in your heart just now and beyond because no doubt god has good things ahead for you all and when you're in that community centre, when you were meeting there and you had all this, the kind of the changing into the, the concept and the thought of a of a new building for yourself. Um, I suppose I, I'm I'm just thinking about was there a significant turning point? For example, you know, I'm wondering, did you have a prayer meeting and it just you, you hit on this idea or was there a more gentle, slow movement? To where you were then going how how did that come about what can you tell us about that i think people oh. had to get to rock bottom before they would consider anything else which i felt i was sitting here think feeling a bit guilty that i left everybody thinking everybody was so depressed about it <laughs> but um in order to move on i think you've got to start and say goodbye to the old and um as we started to think what the future would hold um, we had to um, come up from a, uh, with some practical suggestions. Financially, it wasn't going to be possible to restore the church. And even if we had financially, it wouldn't have been possible to sustain it. 
And so we had to look around and think what else could be done. And this is where we started to look at the, we had a, a, a part of the Glebe land that would be available. And so it's only, it, it's not huge. So that was going to dictate the size of whatever building we could put on it. We had a certain amount of money. There is a certain amount of expertise uh, in and around the village. Not all those uh, people who are, um, you know, our builders and so forth come to church. But what we started to do was to start and ask people if they would help. And nobody said no. And so we were starting, the church was starting to move out, if you like, to see who we needed to ask. And gradually the um, the vision of what we might manage um, came about. We still didn't have enough money to do that. And so um, we did a lot of the planning and uh, uh, had an idea of what would be possible and what would be feasible and what would be the right size for the population and the sort of attendance that we would normally get. Although the presbytery planning was going through and all that's, you know, had a bad press and all the um, making the parishes larger and larger, but it served us, served our purpose because uh, when the plan for our area was that the parishes would unite and we would um, come down to one minister from two. When that happened, where there was no longer any need for another month, two months, we just needed one month. And so when the months were sold, that provided the money, the, the necessary money um, for us to build the church. So we'd gone in a relatively short period of time. And remember, COVID, this COVID was taking place during this time as well. We went from a feeling of really being low and, uh, and really not knowing what to do. We had the money that people had uh, generously contributed and what were we going to do with it if we, if we weren't going to restore the church. Um, and then we started to look practically and see what was feasible. Uh, still didn't have the money and uh, we did reach a point where we'd spent so much money on getting um, uh, uh, surveys done and it, it surprised us all I think the amount that it cost. I mean an example was that at the entrance of the Glebe land there were some ash, um, uh, sycamore trees and we had to get uh, a tree expert in to inspect these trees that cost us over a thousand pounds. Who then and then he said, oh, "Well, this this is going to be the entrance. It's going to cost you X thousand pounds to to um, uh, uh, protect the the roots." Well, eventually we got agreement to cut the tree down, but we'd spent about two to three thousand pounds in in that process. And so you're just thinking, you're watching this money that people have given drain away, and you're thinking, "Where mm. do we stop or do we go on?" And we thought, well, yes, we do. We do go on. And then uh, we were able to sell the manse. And that meant that we could put everything into place. So having been rock bottom and then having reached certain points, and I, I describe it a bit like the um, Indiana Jones movie. Do you remember where Sean Connery is his father and he's across a chasm? And um, Indiana Jones has to get across that chasm, but there are no, there's no obvious staircase between him and his father. Well, that was exactly what it was like. You had to step out 
and just trust that there was another step there. And there it was. Mm. I think one of the things that, that struck me Sunday there was that the first time I had led a, a full service at our Ardnamurkin church. And, and there's such a, a joy and you know, satisfaction with the new church. And, and everyone's really excited and, and folk are rallying around while they're all making sandwiches and goodies for tomorrow's celebrations. And I'd been putting together a wee kind of the story of, of Ardnamurkin Church. And of course, this isn't the first new church building. Um, it's at least at least the fourth building that's been around since the, the, the 12th century. And you know, buildings come and buildings go, but the church, the, the story of faith, you know, continues. Uh, there are a couple of, of, of really nice wee pieces of the old being carried into the new. And the, the, the cross on the outside of the, the new church is a, a wooden cross that had been in Sana Mission Hall, which was a, a I was never there, but a, a small, was it a, a tin it's, hut uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> um, down by, by Sana Beach. And uh, that cross has been incorporated into, into the new and the, uh, the cross behind the communion table in the, the sanctuary uh, has been fashioned from a, a pew from the immediately past old church. Uh, so there's something of, of that continuity of, of the story. But they, I'm, I'm sure folk don't, don't forget all the, the stories and memories from the old church that they remember, but there's there's a huge joy and, and contented you know, uh, contentedness in, um, in in now having a building, a place to worship, and a place from which to to go and to to serve the community. What creativity! It's really a fantastic story of faith that has such creativity within it. Things like that cross, and oh, I love hearing that kind of story. That you've just you're carrying that kind of the DNA threads through and it's just continuing because that's faith isn't it we see Jesus he just continues all the way through and certainly by the sounds of it your community there just has Jesus written all the way through in terms of faith it's really fantastic and you've touched on just before I come to to Neil and Steve again as we come to an end you've already been sharing about some of your hopes and dreams in terms of how the new church building is going to be used ecumenically and from community organisations. But I think you've also got some hopes there about how the house, the Glebe House and the church might be used by other ministers who bring up church groups to come and stay. I think maybe you've already had a group up to stay. Can you just uh, give us a little bit on that angle? Because I think it's yet another uh, creative idea uh, that you have yeah, for for many years the the the, the church house um, at Kilhoan and the the new church is is within the uh, the glebe uh, land around that. It has been available for visiting preachers, and uh, over the the summer months, the uh, former parish of uh, Ardnamurchan uh, tended to. You know, be able to to keep going over the summer months uh, without um, always relying on the minister coming down from uh, a, a caracal, and and so that's you know been continuing. And uh, this year, you know, one of the visiting ministers um, 
uh, Keith Mack was was able to to bring a group of youngsters and they were able to to run a children's holiday club and some some youth activities. Uh, there was a a barbecue after after church uh, in in the new church, one of the first uh, ever services there. So yeah, I mean I think one of the the things you know with it being such a large area, you know we have to uh, draw on on resources like that. And while while a bit of me would love to be able to be down at Ardnamurkin Church you know, every week for worship, that the reality is that that we need uh, we need those other people visiting preachers, building up a, a, a lay worship team here, uh, and that sort of thing. So I was actually away on holiday at the time of the uh, beginning of August uh, when there was the the holiday club and the the youth activity. But yeah, great that that those things can can happen, and what 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 a beautiful spot for someone to have um, a wee bit of a wee bit of holiday um, in exchange for a wee a, a Sunday's um, a, a Sunday service. Uh, but yeah, lots of exciting possibilities mm-hmm. that was just brilliant just building up uh, equipping the people of god to do the works of the ministry yourself and and creatively drawing on others as well it's such a great encouraging story neil steve what are your final thoughts what your t- what's he taken away from today i think one thing i'm taking away is uh, something you said ella you said we we asked people for help and nobody said no and I think that's such a great thing to hear because, you know, so often as, as churches, we like to be the ones who are helping. We like to be the ones who are giving. And we may be sometimes a bit reluctant to be the to be the askers, to be in the weak position, to be saying, you know, we, we need your help. But I think when we go and, and ask for help, it kind of strengthens relationships as well, doesn't it? And draws people in who might not otherwise be. Um, and very biblical, you know, I was thinking when you said that, I thought, yeah, Jesus turning to Zacchaeus up the tree and coming to your house for dinner tonight. You know, not I'm inviting you for dinner, but um, I'm coming to your place. Um, and and then, you know, related to that, that time and again, you came to that point where you couldn't see the steps, the next steps. It required that step of faith. Um, and then, you know, one thing led to another and i think you know people who are listening to this there's just a great principle there isn't there whether it's a rural context whether it's an urban context you know we come to those places where we don't know and we're required to to step into the unknown and to trust and uh, and when we do that so often the next thing leads us into the next thing so yeah thanks so much for for sharing your, your story of these recent years. And the, the thing that struck me, uh, among other things, is the latent spirituality that you described, Donald, in the outer parts of our, our land. And the, I mean, I've been, I, love, I love cycling out in the west coast there, not far from you and up and down. And, and uh, there's a lot of people who have sought uh, that part of the world to get away from the away from uh, different things, but what I've also sensed is 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 that there is a an in touchness with creation. There's an in touchness with, uh, I suppose, the Celtic type of spirituality that that uh, 
actually can recognise and notice God in and, in and around uh, the, the wild wild parts. Uh, and and so I, I take heart from that, from, from what you're saying. It's a difficult question. You know, where, where is the church? How is the church at work beyond these walls? But I'm, I'm heartened by the, the encouragement that you describe, you know, in terms of growing leaders and 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 equipping God's people to to be out there to be helping people to to make these connections with the, the latent spirituality that's around. So thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been great, great to be talking with you and uh, to be challenged and encouraged. Uh, I think it's good to it's good to talk through what what we're doing and to to reflect on what we're doing. So thank you for that opportunity. Been brilliant hearing from you, Donald and Ella. It really has. Thank you for all your encouraging stories, your honesty as well about this walk that you've had with God and that you're continuing on. I think one of them, one of my takeaways was uh, something you said was, "What else can be done?" And it was in the context of we might not be able to do. Da, 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 X, Y, Z, or we might not have this, but what else can be done? And certainly in everything that I've heard from you today, it's been a case of, yeah, but what else can be done? Whether it's 22 miles between the churches, but what else can be done? Whether it's, we've not got a lot of people, but what else can be done? And I really hope that our listeners to this story, that you would like to go up and bless the churches up there with your group from church and go and help them in be involved in their ministry life in the way that they are and catch some of that creative vision from them as well. What else can be done? Well, Donald and Ella, we bless you mightily in all that you are doing and just really look forward to hearing more of the stories from the Kilcoan area. Thank you so much to everybody for listening today and thank you to you for sharing your God story with us. In your neighbourhood trudged two dumped Jesus friends, drowning before dawning, moving through a maze of misery to an amazing Emmaus encounter. Emerging Emmaus. Good grief, our dream is dead. Going home instead, comfort of my bed. Good grief, the pain. Hope hard to sustain, love down the drain. Good grief, where have you been? What we've seen? blown to smithereens. Good grief, how our hearts burned, our minds turned, or all we learned. Good grief, don't go away, come in to stay, you've shown the way. Good grief, how he broke the bread with hands that bled, then disappeared. Good grief, Jesus alive, no need to strive chance to thrive, Jesus alive. Good grief, no time to waste. Now we have a taste to Jerusalem with haste. Emerging Emmaus, a well-kent lament echoes through the years. How long, how long? Good as is the grieving process, may it be a means to access visions and dreams of Christ's kingdom come, Emmaus. Emerge from the gloom. Come, Holy Spirit, come. So for future podcasts, join us via the Sanctuary First website, Facebook page and app, and also via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Come on, tune in.